Welcome everyone to the Berkeley Center for Law and Technology's Careers in Tech podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Stacy, the Executive Director of BCLT. And today we'll be talking about the different paths for becoming a patent attorney and what the actual work of a patent attorney day-to-day looks like. We have two experts from Kilpatrick, Townsend, and Stockton joining us today to help us understand what these paths look like. We have Nestle Doran Savon. She's a partner uh, at Kilpatrick, and Ruthleen Ui, who is senior counsel at Kilpatrick Townsend. Thank you both for joining us, and welcome. And before we we talk about paths, I wanted to to actually set out some terms. We talked a little bit before the recording started about what the term patent attorney means uh, to different people and in in different firms. And what I wanted to, to remind any of the students that are listening is you've got to ask when people say patent attorney, are they referring to the license that you just you're just been approved to practice before the USPTO? Or are they talking about a particular branch within the patent practice like patent prosecution? You always have to ask because firms are different. So with that in mind, um, I think both Ruthine and Nestle would describe themselves as patent attorneys. And I was going to ask uh, to kick off this, this discussion by telling us what one of your days looks like. All right. So I'll go first. This is Nestle. The typical day would include two main tasks, I would say. One would be drafting a patent application. And the second major task is um, responding to office actions that you receive from the patent office. Um, and when we open these two boxes, the patent application preparation will include, um, and obviously this, all of them may not happen in a single day. Um, you will talk to the engineers about their ideas that so they came up with this invention. So that's when your engineering side kicks in, right? So you have the technical background to speak to um, or speak the language uh, with the uh, inventor. So when you get your details, then it's pretty much on your own. You uh, draft your patent applications. You may start with the different sections. Um, so I'm not going to go into the details of that. There is uh, usually a preferred way, or you can develop your own preferred way. And once you have uh, your application, you file it with the USPTO, and then you sit tight for a few years, and then you get your first um, office action. So at that point, you need to, that's that's our second box, uh, second tasks, set of tasks where um, you, when you, this office action comes in, there are references cited in there, which requires you to kind of review them. Again, your engineering background comes into play. And uh, you, then you identify the differences with your application and this references and uh, prepare a response to the patent office. Um, a part of that also may include interviews with the um, examiners. So you uh, call up the examiner to discuss the case, and then it's, it becomes a negotiation at the end of the day. And um, if a, both sides agree what is the distinction is, that needs to be captured in your um, claims, in your application. And um, hopefully your application then will proceed to allowance. So Ruthie, I'll, I'll give this question to you. I mean, both of you are very senior and very expert level uh, in your practice. How does your practice day-to-day differ from the one of the first years that would be coming in? I'm Ruthleen. I am counsel, and uh, I'm located in Kilpatrick's San Diego office. And um, I have about 19 years of uh, patent prosecution experience. And I'm a member 
Um, my undergrad degree was in computer science, so I am in the electrical software group for Kilpatrick. So just like what Wayne was saying earlier, like there's even even though we're all patent attorneys, we're all in different groups and we all specialize in different subject matter. So even within our firm, someone who's in life sciences, who's a patent attorney, will be doing different work from myself, who's in the software group. And we we deal with different rejections. You know, I'm sure everyone's familiar with Alice, which other groups um, or 101, which other groups don't um, have to address. Uh, so just in general, compared to a first year, I think as a first year, most of your time is spent learning the rules. This, there's actually a lot of rules in the MPP to learn. And um, as a first year, I think for most firms, they allow you to have that opportunity just to figure out how things work, um, how to docket due dates, how do you know what things are due? Uh, because the first year is basically about figuring out how do you how do you do this? When are filings due? Um, what are foreign filings due? When do you when do you have to report to the? There's a lot of due dates basically. So in the first year, you're just trying. Most firms give you that opportunity to figure out how do you do things and to learn how to address a rejection. Versus once you're um, more senior, you've already figured out how to manage a large docket of with different due dates because you're dealing with foreign and US. And then um, you're also, you know, there's less, you also help other folks, you answer their questions, and then you review the work of those junior to you. And in general, even within ourselves, you're always learning something new. Like me and Nestle are always chatting like, oh, did you see this? How would you respond to this? So Yes, you're learning a lot your first year, but I would say you still continue to learn even as you're more senior because there's always situations that come up that you haven't seen before. Well, you, you said two things there I wanted to follow up on. Uh, one, I think all of us are the, the vintage to remember the printed version of the MPEP, which is the, the manual for patent examining procedure. So I want to make sure people knew what, what that was, but it's a, uh, in, in physical print. It's a very intimidating book that has a obscene number of rules to uh, learn and, and try to navigate on a, on a day-to-day -day basis. And that takes me to the second thing you pointed out about, uh, you use the term docket and due dates. And it'd be great to, to understand how the idea of rules and coordination and management really becomes a key piece of a patent attorney's practice. So um, I think uh, with that question, let's just kind of uh, put in together what I was talking about, um, the office actions, right, or, or the applications. Uh, so they, the applications will have most of the time a due date that they need to be filed at. Um, so that date gets entered to our system. Um, so and then we get reminded by, uh, by our um, docketing system. Um, to say, okay, did you prepare the application? You know, your due date is coming up. You need to file by that date. And once we get these office actions that I talked about from USPTO, those also get uh, logged into our system and they trigger some response dates. Um, there's always um, a timeline uh, associated with these actions. And um, so that's, that's what the docketing means and the due dates are. And um, usually as an attorney, even as a first year, let's say you're into the profession for five months, you'll have a docket, which means, um, well, you'll have due dates that you need to um, prepare your um, assigned um, 
action Z. So, um, and usually you are assigned a few matters. And as you know, as you get more and more experienced, uh, that numbers probably becomes, you may be handling about, uh, I don't know, like 10, 15. You need to be very organized personally to, to be on top of your dates. And um, as you get, as I said, as you get more senior, uh, you may not have people kind of uh, making sure that you get your uh, assignments ready by the due dates. And in handling the docket, you're not alone. There's a docketing system that keeps track of all the due dates and you yourself should be maintaining your own docket so you, you know what you have due and what you need to work on. And that's actually a benefit of doing patent prosecution is you generally know what's going to happen. Um, things shouldn't be a surprise to you because when uh, communications come in, they tell you the due date and you can dock it accordingly. And then if you don't think you will have the, the time to complete it, then you can just you know, ask a partner or a colleague or somebody else, can someone work on this? And it's just, uh, it's easier to maintain that way. It's a, it's a great point when you mentioned the docketing system and the docketing clerks in most of the big firms, you're not, you're not alone. You always have groups of really great professionals helping guide the, the management process. Well, both of you have obviously reached very senior successful level of your, your career. If you were talking to a first year what would you say are the keys from getting to first year to your level of success? I would say not to worry so much. I feel like a lot of first years in general, I think, are uh, like very worried to succeed. I, and I think I, I would just say you'll you're just you'll you'll do just fine. You know, just just do your best and uh, work at it. And um, I, I would say it's probably the worry. I think that's with almost any career. Is, is when you start out as a first year uh, is, am I doing this right? Like, well, you know, and, and, and it's, you'll be fine. Just have talk to other people. You're never alone in any situation. No, you're never the only person experiencing this issue. Um, there's always other people that you can talk to for help. It's not as bad as it seems, basically. And I would say, raise your hand a lot and ask a lot of questions. Um, so try to work with as many different senior associates, uh, partners as possible. You will learn something from each one of them. You'll learn their styles. Everybody has their own style. You'll learn something about what they pay attention to um, and uh, that, that will make you grow uh, in your career and make you a better practitioner. Stepping away from the law firm side of this, you'll see obviously that lots of tech-based corporations have in-house patent attorneys. Can you tell us a little bit about what an in-house patent attorney does and how you interact with them? Sure. So the in-house attorneys will be uh, handling the patents of their own firm, right? So they're only seeing um, that technology. Um, but also, since most of them, especially the large companies, they will be working with one or more outside firms. So for example, Kilpatrick, right? Um, so we're working with the in-house counsel. Their daily tasks are a little bit different than ours. They, they'll be probably doing less drafting applications or responses, but they'll be more overseeing a portfolio. Um, in terms of, so we do that for, uh, for our clients as well. However, they will be at a better position in terms of 
determining their budgets, how they want to spend the money, which product they're launching this year so that they may want to shift the focus on their portfolio towards that applications or that technology. So we work with them, but uh, in-houses have more, I think, managerial role uh, in the patent portfolio management than an outside council. Outside council also gets to work with a variety of different technologies with a variety of different clients. Um, so that way they're exposed to maybe more issues that may come up, uh, come up during prosecution. So that's also the um, value that the outside counsel provides to the in-house counsel because they may not have seen this issue before they may come across to something. And instead of spending their time researching this, they'll probably just pick up the phone and call their outside counsel and ask the question. And in-house counsel roles also vary, same as within a law firm. So even one um, in-house counsel in a smaller firm may do everything. They may draft, do the interviews, file all their applications, manage their docket, manage everything. And then some in-house counsel in really large companies, all they're doing is managing a, a portfolio and they don't do any prosecution at, at that point because the company is so large, they have to manage such a large portfolio, they wouldn't have time to draft and um, you know, do the interviews and everything else. Well, then the, the last question, I'm going to go back for, for students that are in the, the investigation stage of their, uh, of their career, not sure if they want to do patent prosecution, patent litigation, transactional, they, they know they have a technical background and they'd like to use it somewhere. So what are the questions that you would recommend they ask during the interview process or at career fairs? So I think first they should understand, and I was I meant to actually circle back to something that you said at the beginning, Wayne, it's the licensing requirements with USPTL. Any technical background does not qualify uh, for being registered with USPTL. So they should probably first figure this out. If they have an engineering degree, if they have a science degree, probably they're fine. But uh, when we say technical background, that's a little bit too broad. Um, if they figure it out and if they can actually be registered with USPTO, that means that they can do patent prosecution. Um, otherwise, the other paths, the litigation and the other paths are still open, um, but for to be a patent or to be registered in front, to practice in front of USPTO, they will need that um, registration, the patent bar as uh, it's often referred as. Um, the other questions are, I think, uh, one thing that Ruthleen brought up, and that's that's been something very important for me, is the predictability. So the patent prosecution is not a very exciting lifestyle, uh, but it is a very predictable one. So um, you don't go to the courtrooms most likely, um, and you know your job is, uh, as I said, patent drafting and uh, taking it out of the USPTO so that your client has a patent. Um, but if, uh, and the other question I think they should ask themselves, do they like this lifestyle where, um, you know, they, they like to go to the court, they like to argue the case, then I think the patent litigation is a better, uh, better path. Just to follow up on what Nestle says, yeah, it's not necessarily exciting, but it's, it's always challenging. And I feel we're always thinking and we're always learning something new, which, if, which I find, you know, enjoyable. And it's always interesting when you hear a bunch of patent attorneys talking about something because I don't think anyone else has like a similar conversation because it's a mixture of technology and, and law. Um, and then also following up to uh, what Nestle was saying, there, you could still take the patent route even if you don't 
do the patent bar, and that's as a patent engineer. And but under that role, you would need to be supervised by someone who is registered and has a patent registration number because you would not be allowed to file responses with the patent office. And there are, um, so, and that's a good way for you to test out. Like as with anything, if you're not sure if you're interested in doing it as a career, you should test it out. You know, so you can test out being um, a patent engineer while you're an engineer, or you can go ahead and take the patent bar exam which is, you know, it's, it's a short exam, and then and just get the registration number and then give it a go to see if you're interested in it. It's not that expensive, so you can you can test it out to see if you're interested. And then if not, you know, maybe you'd prefer to do litigation. It's not going to hurt you to have a registration number to do patent litigation. They actually prefer it because it's like, oh, you already know the patent rules. When we do patent litigation, you have, you have um, knowledge in it. So it can all... Um, work on top of each other. It doesn't have to be a, a standalone thing. You don't have to do one or the other. You can try one and then go on to the, to the next step. And um, maybe let's also clarify the, these three terms. Patent engineer has a technical background and no legal degree or requirements. A patent agent is someone who has a technical degree and has passed the patent bar. So it's registered with the USPTO, may not have any other legal degree, so may not have a law degree. And if a person has passed the patent bar and also um, graduated from law school and passed the bar, then they become a patent attorney. Well, I want to thank you both for, for giving an introduction to these career paths. Uh, it's hard for people to look at law firm websites and figure out these days uh, what it might look like for them as a first year. So it's great to hear it firsthand. Um, thank you both again, and we'll talk soon. Sure. And we're also available if anybody has questions in general about the different roles and the different opportunities that are that are available.